Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. But I was talking to my kids about it, and I was like, man, when was that? And so... I was thinking, okay, I was in Rhode Island at the time, so it was early 90s, and I remember, because they put me out, they, they put me to sleep because they were shocked that the skin didn't break, and so they thought, well, we might have to do surgery, so we're going we're gonna to knock him out and set the wrist. That way, if we have to do surgery, he's already asleep, and we'll just cut him open. If he wakes up during the surgery, no biggie, I'm sure he'll be fine. So, so they put me to sleep, so they wanted to keep me for observation for the night and I was just in and out of sleep. But I remember it was 1991. How many of you Minnesotan folks remember 1991? What was happening in 1991 around this time that year? What? That I don't know about. The (laughs) think about that was the Halloween blizzard. But think about sports fans. Oh, my goodness, Pastor Dave, you're a punk. What was going on? Twins World Series. So the night that it happened, I'm sitting there, and I'm half asleep, groggy, blah, what's going on? And I look at the score, Braves-Twins, and that was a game in which the Braves scored 14 points and the Twins scored three. And so I just remembered that. With the kids last Friday, I was like, man, it was like 14 to 3. The Braves whooped up on somebody, but I couldn't remember off the top of my head. So I looked back at the World Series, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was the Twins. But you guys ended up winning anyways. But so if you're wondering, today is that day. It's my 30-year anniversary of breaking my wrist. Aren't you so happy about it? (laughs) Isn't that good? Thank you. Thank you. I tried really hard to do it. You don't have what? Oh, okay. I'll figure something out. Um, anyways, so yeah, so um, so yeah, my my wrist broke thirty years ago today, and so I celebrate that today with you guys. And uh, I was surprised that we were playing football that late as as eighth graders. But but really, what I want to talk about today is how broken the nation of Israel was at where we're at in the Bible. They are completely broken. They are messed up. They are upside down. And today, we are going to head back to the historical narrative of our journey through the Bible, looking at 2 Kings 15. In the last few weeks, we looked at the books of Hosea and Amos, both of them giving us in-depth looks of the sins of the people of Israel. We don't really see that in the historical narrative. We see the kings, but we don't see much about the common, ordinary folk, the peasants, the normal people that are living in the nation. And through those books, we saw how sinful the people of Israel were. So we spoke last week how Amos grabbed the attention of Amaziah the priest in Bethel when he prophesied that the Lord will
will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword in Amos chapter 7, verse 9. And then Hosea prophesied in chapter 1, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, said to Hosea, call his name Jezreel, one of his sons. Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. So where we're at, we're all kind of, we've tied all these knots together and we've come together, Hosea, Amos, and now we're in 2 Kings 15 and we're right where we need to be. Now really quick here, if you would jog your memory with me, if you've been with us, Jehu Back in 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10, if you recall, he wiped out Jezebel. He wiped out all the descendants of Ahab. He wiped out Baal worship from Israel. God rewarded his obedience for that with the promise that his descendants would reign in Israel up to the fourth generation. However, Jehu and his descendants fell away from the Lord. They never exterminated the golden calf worship that they were doing and other things that happen there, they continue to rise to evil. So Jehu, though, still gets that promise. God does not break his promises. You may act like a fool, you may act like a moron, but God will stick to his promises that he has called to you. He, he promised Jehu, you, you may not be following me, but I already promised you that to the fourth generation, you, your, your dynasty will last. Your dynasty is going to last to that fourth generation. Well, guess what, friends? At the end of 2 Kings 4, we had Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the second is the third generation of Jehu. So, so what does that mean? The next king of Israel is it for Jehu's line, the next one. Now listen, for the last couple of messages, we've discussed the details of the sins of the people of Israel. It's gotten out of control. And listen, friends, we're not going to see anything better from the leadership of the nation. If you think the people were bad, guess what? The leaders were just as bad in the northern kingdom. In fact, you might feel that they were even worse off. In, in pretty quick succession, we'll read of the next five kings of Israel all taking the throne during Uzziah's, or uh, as Second uh, Kings 15 kind of bounces back and forth, his name is Uzziah. He also goes by Azariah. As his reign in Judah in the southern kingdom is happening, you see these five kings come to succession pretty quickly. So let's look at these for a moment here. First, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 15, starting at verse 8. However, you may have a Bible, whether it's paper, whether it's electronic. 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 8 through 12 says this, In the 38th year of Azariah, there's that name instead of Uzziah, In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which, which he made Israel to sin. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck him down at Iblim and put him to death and reigned in his place. Verse 11, now the rest of the deeds of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Verse 12, in parentheses there, this was the, this was the promise of the Lord. Lord that he gave to Jehu, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. So Zechariah, the fourth generation of, of Jehu, he reigns a whole six months and then is assassinated. Let's continue on. Verse 13, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned one month in Samaria. 
Then Menahem, uh, the son of Gadi, uh, came up from Terza and came to Samaria, and he struck down Shalom, the son of Jabesh in Samaria, and put him to death and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Shalom and the conspiracy that he made, behold, they are written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. So Shalom, the next king that comes on down, a whole four weeks that he gets to reign. Way to go, man. I'm sure you did a lot of good there and changed a lot of stuff, but you didn't. You were evil, and uh, you ended up being assassinated also, uh, just like Zechariah was. So uh, next up, we have this um, I always pronounce his name wrong. Menahem, who's, uh, who's going to reign here. Now, uh, look at verse 16 of chapter 15. At that time, Menahem sacked Tifsa and all who were in it and its territory from Terza on because they did not open it to him. Therefore, he sacked it and he ripped open all the women uh, in it who were pregnant. Verse 17, the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, uh, began to reign over Israel, and he reigned 10 years in Samaria. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that he might help him to confirm his hold on the royal power. Menahem exacted the money from Israel, that is, from all the wealthy men, 50 shekels of silver from every man to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the deeds of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Verse 22, and Menahem slept with his fathers, and and Pekahiah, his son, uh, reigned in his place. Finally, we get a king that dies, quote-unquote, normally. Just a guy that decided to die. God took his life somehow, and, and, and he died. However, he's probably the most murderous one of them all. Of course, we have his assassination of Shalom to get the kingdom. Uh, but not only that, he ends up ripping open the pregnant women of, Tis, of Tifsa. Now listen, friends, this was a Gentile territory, but that doesn't matter. Though the silence from God may seem deafening, he does not approve of this act. Listen, friends, God at times required the Israelites to wipe out entire cities of men, women, children, and animals in times of judgment, but at no time in the history of Israel did he call for such a barbaric activity as this. Let's rip open all the pregnant women and let all these babies die as they come out. In fact, the Lord punishes other nations for doing this to Israel. If you go back to Amos chapter 1, verse 13, uh, he speaks against Ammon and all the things that are going to happen to them because they did that specifically uh, to to the nation of Israel. Uh, To top it off... The reason Menahem does it is out of complete selfishness. Uh, this territory wouldn't open itself up to Menahem and say, yeah, come on in and, and party and enjoy it here. We'd love to have you here. This is, this is a, a, just to give you a heads up, this Tifsa area is a long ways from Israel. It's over by the Euphrates River off uh, uh, near the southern parts of Assyria and stuff. So they weren't like too keen on, yeah, come on in, Israel, do whatever you want. Menahem gets ticked off and, and does this, this wretched thing. Listen, friends, if God is going to punish a Gentile nation for doing the exact same thing for the exact same reasons, how much harsher will the punishment be for his chosen people who know this is not how God works? 
then within Menahem's reign, you have the taxing of the wealthy to keep the Assyrians at bay. Listen, uh, King Paul, I will give you a bunch of money if you just stay out of my hair while I'm reigning over this nation. And Paul is like, okay, sounds good. You can give me all the talents, the 50 talents of silver on a regular basis, and, and I'll just kind of sit on the outskirts and not mess with you. Now, most of us would, would probably not bat an eyelash at the fact that Menahem is going to take the wealthy and say, hey, you're going to give me a bunch of money so that we can keep the Assyrians out of here. Most of us wouldn't bat an eyelash at that. We probably, Some of you might think we need to be taxing the wealthy more. That's, that's completely up to you. I don't want to talk about that right now. But, but how did the wealthy of Israel attain their wealth? Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Amos chapter 5, verse 11. Amos chapter 8, verse 4 says this. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's the wealthy people of Israel. Who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. 5.11. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him. And then chapter 8, verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. They got wealthy because they just... They despise their own people, and they just continue to press them down, press them down continue to push them down and say, gimme, 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 gimme. And then finally, Menahem comes to them and says, okay, gimme, 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 gimme too. And it just continues to happen. Menahem and the entire nation are now just oozing evil from their pores. So let's continue on with... Uh, Pekahiah, who is now king, verse 23 of chapter 15, 2 Kings, in the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah. Uh, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned two years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And Pekah, the son of Romalia, his captain, conspired against him with 50 men of the people of Gilead and struck him down in Samaria in, Samaria, uh, in the citadel of the king's house with Argob and Arya. Uh, he put him to death and reign in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Pekahiah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. All right, so they went back to assassinations, and Pekahiah reigns for about two years, and then is taken out by his captain of the guard, Pekah. He's like, I want to reign now, so how am I going to do that? Well, I'm not his family, so I might as well kill him, and then I'll be able to take over. And so up comes Pekah, and he gets to reign. Again, we're going back to the assassination route. And so let's see what happens and how this is going to go for Pekah. Verse 27. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pilser, um, or I'm sorry, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ijan, Abel, Beth, Mekah, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and carried the people captive to Assyria. Then Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramalia, and struck him down and put him to death and reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the king, or the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Once again, granted it was after 20 years instead of two years or six months or four weeks, 
but another assassination, and a large chunk of the nation is starting to be taken to Assyria, just as God had prophesied through Amos, just as God had prophesied through Hosea and even in parts of, of, of Isaiah. So these things are happening, and the nation is starting to break down, and he's starting to push them back up to Assyria to, to gain the punishment, to give the punishment that he said he was going to for them not following him. Listen, friends, Israel, the chosen people of God, is looking no different from the nations that surround them. They're murderous. They try to worship God the same way all the other nations worship their gods. They oppress the poor and the needy. They assassinate their leaders in an effort to gain power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You would look at it in, the, in, in those times. You would walk through the northern kingdom of Israel. You would walk through Tyre. You would walk through Sidon. You would walk through uh, Assyria. You would walk through Syria. You would walk through all these other nations, and you wouldn't notice any difference. They may have different names for their gods, but they're all doing the same thing. It's all the same thing. Nobody is any different. The only saving grace for Israel is God choosing them. Hence, he won't wipe them out like he had and will continue to do with nations who do these same things. We're going to see this over and over again. I'm going to wipe out this nation. I'm going to take out this nation. The Philistines aren't going to last. The Egyptians aren't going to last. These people who are in power are not going to stay in power because they're not going to continue to follow me. You, Israel, however, I will not wipe out because I have promised that you are my chosen people and you're going to last for a really long time, but you're going to be punished. But then you've got Judah. Then there was Judah. And we just read that Hosea takes the, the throne in Israel during the reign of Uzziah's son, Jotham. Now, if you remember, how did Uzziah lose his, his reign? He decided to go into the temple and light the incense and be all like, look at me, I'm so awesome and I'm so powerful. The priest comes in and says, hey, you can't do that. And Uzziah says, yes, I can, leave me alone, and gets ticked off. And as soon as he gets ticked off, the Lord strikes him with leprosy. And they're like, you got to get out. And he's like, yes, I know I do. And he gets out and he ends up having to live outside of his own palace and in a separate house because he had leprosy until the day of his death. So Jotham, his son, takes over. Look at verse 32 of chapter 15. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Excuse me. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Verse 36. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, against Judah. Jotham slept with his father's and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Friends, that's a very stark contract from Israel. Although the people were still not worshiping pro properly, they were still doing their, their at-home altars that they bought from Home Depot and, and Lowe's and everything. Let's put this all together. Doesn't this look great? No, it doesn't look great. Now get back to the temple and worship me the way that I told you, but the people still don't do it. And the king doesn't really tell them to. 
Um, however, he was, he was considered a good king. Now, as usual with the kings of Judah, Second Chronicles gives us more details of the reign, and it does so here uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Jotham. In fact, it includes this very interesting tidbit, like I just talked about with Uzziah. In chapter 27 of Second Chronicles, verse 2, it says this, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah had done, except (laughs) he did not enter the temple of the Lord. (laughs) Very wise young man. Yeah, I saw what happened to dad. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to let that be. Dad, you really messed up, and I'm not going to do that same thing. I have fallen pretty far from the tree. I don't have to worry too much about that. I'm going to go this way instead. Second Chronicles 27 also includes a brief summary concerning a defeat of the Ammonites and gaining quite a bit of silver, barley, and wheat for the nation from them uh, after their victory. Following this, in verse 6 of Second Chronicles 27, it states, So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Friends, this is something that none of the kings of Israel, let alone the five we just read about, ever did. They never ordered their ways uh, before the Lord their God. There was a specific act, though, that Jotham did that is recorded in both accounts. In both 2 Chronicles 27 and 2 Kings 15, it specifically says this, He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. 2 Kings 15.35, 2 Chronicles 27.3, Jotham built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now listen, friends, Jotham didn't use this gate to enter the temple like his father. He wasn't like, I need easier access to get into the temple. The Bible just told us he didn't enter the temple. He Instead, he builds this gate and he opens it up. He, he knew his position as king and what he was supposed to do as a leader for this nation. And he knew that was different from what God had called the priest to do. The priests are to lead them spiritually. I am to lead them physically. But we should be combining and, and being able to work with each other to see God work powerfully in this nation. So when Jotham decides to open up the, the, the temple of the Lord and have this gate built here, this upper gate built here, it was like a connection a link, if you will, between the temple and between his temple, between his throne and God's throne. Jotham wanted to say, I want this connection. I get it that I can't go in there, but I can still have a connection. I can still come through and be able to talk with God, be able to be with God, be able to order my ways in the ways of the Lord. So I am going to build this upper gate and open openness. Friends, listen, whenever kings were concerned about the temple of the Lord, it was a sign of revival for the land. Whenever a king thought, I want to do something good for the temple of the Lord, it was a sign of revival in the nation within Judah because well, Israel had already kicked out the Lord. The Lord blessed Jotham greatly, friends. In fact, Martin Wells Knapp states this. He's an old Methodist minister from the late 1800s. Jotham is the only one of all the Hebrew kings from Saul, King Saul, from Saul all the way down, against whom God has nothing to record. There is not anything that the Lord says against Jotham. All the other kings, you look at it, there's there's a little bit of negative here and there. 
There's a little bit of something. You messed up here, you messed up there. Not Jotham. There's nothing negative that the Lord records against Jotham. He wasn't perfect, of course. I'm sure he sinned in some way, shape, or form. But it wasn't to the point that God had recorded anything because the Lord was blessing him because he opened that connection. He opened that up and said, I want to to be with God because that's the only way I'm going to be able to lead this nation. Listen, friends, like I said, Israel was completely broken, completely upside down, completely messed up. They're full of hate. They're full of greed. They're full of lust for power. They're full of murder. They're full of just plain old lust. They're full of all sorts of stuff that is, that is not of God. What does this sound like? Sadly, it does not sound like the United States of America. We may not be assassinating our leaders, We've got to kind of set up that, well, if you kill the president, you don't get to take over the presidency. That's not how that works. But who gives a rip? (laughs) But it sounds a lot like the United States. Now, how are we trying to fix it? And by we, I mean the collective we, the entire United States of America. Now, some of you might say we're not. <laughs> we're not trying to fix it. That's, that's, that's not what's, what's happening. We're not doing anything. But, but there, there is an aspect that, that we're trying to fix this. And it's through, it's through what? It's through more laws. It's through legislation. Let's make more laws. This last, uh, this last Monday, I want to make sure I get this quote right. This last Monday, uh, Justice, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor is talking to a group of law students. And she says this, there's going to be a lot of disappointments in the law. There's going to be a lot of disappointments in the law. And you know what, friends? I agree with her a thousand percent. There's going to be a lot of disappointments in the law. Now, the reasons I agree with her are very different <laughs> as, to, as to why she said that. She was very ticked off just last weekend that the Supreme Court did not overturn a bunch of anti-abortion laws in Texas and instead decided to say, hey, Texas can stick with those laws. She was really ticked off about that. And so she came back to, to these students and said, listen, there's, there's going to be a lot of disappointments in the law in the future. There's a little bit of a different reason why, why I agree with the statement, and it definitely has nothing to do with, with Texas having anti-abortion laws. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, but I'm not going to get too political with you right here, right now. Listen, friends, many people quote Martin Luther King Jr. on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I see it throughout social media, that ever-popular quote, darkness can't drive out darkness, only light can. Hate can't drive out hate, only love can. It's great, isn't it? It's a pretty good statement, right? Hopefully I'm right. Martin Luther King Jr. said that, right? Is that what I think? I don't know. Abraham Lincoln tells me not to use the internet, so we'll have to see. But, um, but in all seriousness, we, we say that, but, but rarely, rarely as a nation, do we really live by that? Rarely do we live by that. We more often think, what, darkness doesn't drive out darkness, only legislation can do that. Hate doesn't drive out hate, only legislation can do that. 
So we make up a bunch of different laws, and we, we put a bunch of different standards out there. In fact, we, we kind of don't actually understand what, what's happening when, when people are breaking the laws and stuff. And so we make even more laws, like, like laws for hate crimes. You know, If you do anything against any particular kind of a minority, whether it's based on race or, or whether it's based on a lifestyle or whatever that is, we're going we're gonna to charge you with a hate crime to really scare you when the truth is at the basis of all murder and, and that kind of stuff is, is hate. So, but, but, but I tell you what, if we make it even worse for you, I'll, I'll bet you, you won't do it as much. And we get confused and we think, well, the more laws that we have, the better it's going to be. But I'm telling you right now, friends, that's not how the law works. The law doesn't work that way. The law can't change a person. The law can't change a person's mind. The law can't change how people think. That's not what the law does. The law only shows how far away we are from the standard that is set. We don't want you to kill, so there's a law against killing. We don't want you to steal, so there's a law against stealing. We don't want you to do this to your neighbor, so we have a law against this. It can only tell you how far you are from the standard set. The law speaks of circumcision, but it cannot circumcise the heart. The law can't do that. It can tell you to do it. It can tell you to do a whole bunch of stuff. But the law can't do it. The law can't change, friends. This can only be done by God through our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. The law can't change you. Only God can change you. The law can't change your mind. Only God can. Listen, friends, I get it. I understand there's some good laws out there, and they're good, and they're helping people, and that's fine. But you're not going to change the mindset of the people because of a law. You're going to change the mindset of a people because of God, because the Holy Spirit convicting people's lives and them responding to it. Friends, listen, the answer to overcoming the hate, greed, and lust in America is not enacting more laws, not enacting more severe punishments, but by the church building the upper gate. And this, friends, is where I think the American church has messed up. We're not building the upper gate. We're just sitting there with it still closed off, hoping that our representatives, senators, presidents, mayors, governors, whatever, will do what's right. As Jotham did physically for himself, so we must first do within ourselves spiritually Build that upper gate. Build the upper gate in our lives. That connection, that link between ourselves as individuals and God. Right here in this church, those that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to say, I'm going to build that gate within myself. I'm going to build that gate. And that first step, that first place where it starts is with what? Is with repentance. It's with repentance, looking inside of ourselves, seeing the sin and turning it, turning away from it towards God. We see the sin in our own lives and say, God, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my mind. I need you to change the way I'm doing things. And then from there, we continue to dig into the word of God, doing what it says. Do not just be hearers of the word, friends, but be doers also. We take the word of God and we take it in and we, we work the way God has called us to work. We pray, speaking to the Lord daily and following the convictions he places on our heart on a regular basis. Lord, speak to my heart. Show me the direction I need to go. Show me what I need to do. Father, I want to be in obedience to you, not to this world. I don't want to be overtaken by this world. I don't want to be overtaken by, by what people are doing. I want to be overtaken by what you're doing. 
Friends, we need to be working on our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. As we do this, as we do this, you don't wait till you're perfect and say, okay, gate's built, let's go on. No, as you're doing this, as you're getting closer to God, as you're doing that, you then take the material to others so that they can build their upper gate. I'm going to bring this to you, and I'm going to help you build an upper gate, whether it's here within the church or it's out there outside of these four walls. I'm here to help you build the upper gate. Now, you may not want to use those words because they're going to be talking about, what are you talking about? I don't even have a gate on my house. Why do I want to build a gate? You may want to use different words. I'm here to help you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to bring you hope. I'm here to bring you peace. What is the material that we're trying to give to them? What is that material? The material, friends, is the gospel message. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to give this to you. We can't just be concentrating on our own upper gate. We need to concentrate on it. We need to work on it. But it can't be the only thing that we're doing. We have to continue on and help others out. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'm building my gate. I'm making the connection and the links with God that I need to. And then I'm also taking some of that material. And I'm coming over here. And I'm showing you the hope, the peace, the life that God gives. And I continue to take from what I'm learning as I'm working on my salvation with fear and trembling. I bring this over to whoever it is, whether it's another believer and helping to encourage them and build them up, whether it's an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Here I am. I'm bringing this to you. I'm I'm, going to help you build up and do those things. And then you go to there and, and, and then you do it. But remember what we talked about with Francis Chan, for those of you that were with us this last Wednesday night, what does he say? That faith is a gift, right? Faith is a gift. So what do you do? Here's, here's the material. Now I'm going to head back and I'm going to pray that you grab that material, that you take the material and that you build that connection with God. Lord, help them see your salvation. Help them understand who you are. Help them to see that peace. Help them to see that hope. Help them to see that life. That, friends, is what we were called to do. Jotham built that upper gate. We need to be building our upper gate and assisting others with their upper gate. Because guess what, friends? After Jotham built that upper gate, was he done? I'm out. That's sweet. I made the connection. We're good to go. No, time is going to deteriorate the gate. Might get rusty. Might need some, you know, WD-40. Let's, let's spray that on there. Hey, some of you that built the altars over there, can I get some extra wood? Because you don't really need that. I'm going to use it over here and, and patch up some things over here because, well, it rained the other night and it started rusting and I don't want it to look all rusty. You're going to constantly be working on that gate. But at the same time, you're going to be able to help others with their building their gate. Friends, this is what God has called us to.
This is what we see. Israel, completely far from God, completely broken, completely messed up. They're on their way to being taken by the Assyrians, and history is about to get really crazy for them. They're, they're not going to last the next chapter in Second Kings. Sadly, Judah's going to start following the same way. Don't mean to give away the ending. I think some of you knew it, but you never know. But that's what's happening. We need to work on that upper gate. Why don't you stand with me today, friends? We're going to take some time, friends. We want to pray today. Wherever you're at, whether it's just needing to fix up the gate a little bit, say, Lord... I need to fix this up. I got some rusty spots. I got some squeakiness in the hinges there, Lord. I I need your help. Maybe you're like, man, my gate has really been dilapidated over the course of time. I need to make my connection right with God again. We're going to pray about that today. Because guess what, friends? We're going to be constantly working on that. That's just life. The world is out there, and it's coming to attack. It's coming to destroy. We have our own thoughts. We have our own things going on in our heads that, that screw up our relationship with God. All of those things, and we need, to, we need to be consistently focusing, refocusing pretty much every morning. His mercies are new every morning, so you might as well take advantage of it and say, God, help me today. And then we go after other people. Start build, helping them build those gates. Let's go after the Lord today. Father, I thank you for each person here, Lord. God, help us to understand the importance of that link between us and you. Father, Jotham didn't have the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies and spend time with you, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, and when he died on that cross... You tore the veil in two that allows us into the Holy of Holies, that allows us into the most private parts of you, Lord God, that only the high priest could go to. You've given us that that opportunity, Lord God. Help us to not waste it. Jotham couldn't go into the temple. Now you've made us your temple. Father, help us to continue to build that upper gate, to keep that upper gate in pristine condition, Lord God. Father, for those where it's become dilapidated right now, Lord, I just pray that you work in their lives, Lord. Give them the answers that they need to know how to to fix that gate, Lord God. For those that just have a little bit of work to do, pray that you give them the same strength, Lord God. Help them, Lord, as they They oil the squeaky hinges, Lord God, as they paint the rusty parts, Lord God. But Lord, help us to not just concentrate on that one gate. Help us to go out as as you had written through Paul in the book of Romans there, Lord God. To share your love, to share that gospel message with others who are dying for it. Lord, for each of these folks that that have been doing that, Lord God, I, I pray with them, Lord, 
that those friends, those family members, Lord God, will, will get it. That they'll understand it, Lord God, and that they'll turn to you, Father. There's so many, Lord, right here that are close to us that we just want them to know your salvation, Lord God. May we see it happen, Lord God. Father, as we, as we concentrate on that temple, Lord God, as we concentrate on who we are in you, Lord, I pray that just as you would do in Judah when the king would follow, uh, would care about that temple, Lord God, I pray that you would send us into a revival, Lord God, within our own hearts, Lord God, and then as a collective group of believers, Lord God, may we feel a revival in our spirits, Lord, as we tend to that temple as we tend to our connection with you, Lord God, as we tend to building our lives up to you, Lord God. Send us, Lord God. Show us who to go to, Lord God. Give us the words to speak. Give us the boldness. Give us the power, Lord God. Prepare the soil, Lord God, of those that are outside of these four walls, Lord God. Praise you, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise you, God, praise you, God. Right at the moment, friends, I just, I just want you, each of you in this room, to think of just one person, just one person for now. You can think about the rest of them later on tonight, but think of just one person right now who you, who you just want the Lord to come after, family member, friend. Maybe it's an enemy. Just begin to pray for him right now. Lift him up and say, Lord, help me to build the gate there. Help me to build the link there. Help me to build that connection. May they grab onto the faith. Lord, give them the faith that you gave me, Lord God. Just begin to pray that. Lord, I pray that as these people pray this over their friends, over their families, maybe it's over an enemy, Lord God. Whatever it may be, Father, right now I just pray, Lord, would you answer that prayer, Lord? You've given us the ability. May we walk in that ability, Lord God. May we walk in that power that you've given us, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Father, I pray for the rest of today, Lord God. As we leave this sanctuary, Lord, and hopefully all of us head downstairs, Lord, and sharing a meal, Lord God, I pray, Father, that we'll continue to encourage each other, Lord. Continue to build each other up, Lord God. Encouraging one another, as your word says, all the more as we see the day approaching, Lord God. For those that can't stick around, Lord, I just pray for your blessing on their lives, Lord God. You speak to their hearts, Father, as they leave today, Lord God. We bless our time together. Bless the food that's been prepared, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've provided and all that you do for us, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Amen, friends.
Praise God. Praise God. Like I said and like I prayed, go downstairs and eat today. (laughs) And uh, let's encourage one another all the more in the Lord. Amen? God bless you.